five, scores! Rick Five. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Well, welcome, everyone, to episode 90 of this Good Nothing Leaf fan show. Geez, 90 shows. Oh, my great. goodness. <laughs> my goodness. Uh, I'm Mike Wilson, the ultimate. Yeah, but the guy we got on today, that was nothing. They did that in a week. I'm Mike Wilson, the ultimate Leafs fan, and joining him as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vive. How's life in the fall, Squid? It won't be long before golf weather back. It snowed yes, or yesterday, Mike. I mean, it got up this morning, there was snow on the ground. I played golf Saturday, and then yesterday it snowed. Like, how the hell are you supposed to play golf when it's snowing? <laughs> I know. Well, I'm down here in Florida right now, so it's. Uh, I don't want to make you too crazy, but it's like 80 degrees outside. So yeah, thanks go. a lot. <laughs> well, speaking of which, our guest today is a good uh, lead into that or a good segue. Maybe tuning in from a golf course or played already today. He attended Thayer Academy. He was a product of the USA National Program, which you know very well. Played university. BU, chosen fifth overall by the Pittsburgh Penguins in the 2002 draft, enjoyed close to 13 years as a pro, represented the U.S. several times internationally, including Linda Silver at the 2010 Olympics in Winnipeg in Vancouver. Today is probably well-known as one of the hosts of the extremely popular Spit and Chicklets podcast, along with the equally as popular Pink Whitney drink. Squid, we have to stop there. We only, only have so much time to pump this guy's tires. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> uh, welcome, Ryan Whitney. Whit, thanks for joining us today, and how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you guys very much for having me on. It's awesome. Uh, pleasure to be here for the 90th show. That's a hell of a run you guys are on, so I know what it takes going into doing the work to do the pod, so I appreciate you guys bringing me on for, for a little story hour. That's as well. That's Perfect. what we're looking forward to now. Now you're in Florida right now, so maybe give my partner a little bit of a shot about how good the weather is in the Gulf in particular. I'm actually I was there uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'm back in Boston now, so I'm back in. Uh, it's raining, it's gross out, so I, I'm missing it just like uh, the squid is up there. You're the only lucky one in Florida with the good weather and the golf. I mean, it didn't snow here recently, but it still isn't exactly golf weather right now. But tomorrow looks nice. I'll be out there tomorrow. Yeah, it snowed here yesterday and stayed on the goddamn ground. I got up this morning, looked outside, and went, "Holy shit! I guess we're not golfing today or tomorrow." <laughs> Yeah, that's brutal because you're just getting ready, just getting into the season, end of April, and boom, the snow should at least melt. That's bullshit that it didn't at least go away for today for you guys. Oh, I know. Well, we played Saturday, and then I woke up today, like I said, and Monday was cold as hell. But anyway, what the hell? It'll it'll be here before we know it. Exactly. Now, so. wait, I'm not even going to try and attempt to mention the name where you're from, but I will give the people lead into is you're from a place between Boston and Cape Cod. Situate. Yes. Yes. Situate. Viber knows. Chris, I mean, I know all those names, Mike. All you had to do was ask me. You're You're the guy. Like that's why you're here. They're like Skituits, Kitowitz. It's it's a, it's a silent, couple silent letters in there, but it's a beautiful town. Yeah. I actually describe it just like you did pretty much halfway between Boston and Cape Cod. Right on the ocean, beautiful coastal town, kind of a pain in the ass to get to. 30 minutes off of any exit you're on on Route 3 South. But it was a great place to grow up. I started going to private school after seventh grade. But still, my parents are there. It's an awesome place. Well, how'd you get involved in hockey to start with? 
Um, my dad loved loved hockey. He played like high school hockey, and then he played club hockey at Holy Cross, where he went to college. That's where he met my mom. And um, from a young age, I just kind of remember, you know, playing like street hockey or mini hockey with him, and I loved it. And I wasn't very good at all, especially at the beginning. I was t- I was really tall. Like I've always been super super tall, especially at a young age. And I loved it though. I just like starting at probably. I don't know, eight or nine. I was just like hockey all the time. I was always outside playing roller hockey, tennis ball. I was always in the basement. We had a great basement, set up a net. I was shooting pucks down there. That probably wasn't eight or nine, but maybe 10 or 11. And then I just fell in love with the sport. I I always just envisioned and imagined and dreamed of playing in the NHL. So hockey was the biggest part of my life forever. I remember being told you got to do other stuff. You got to think of other stuff. And I played other sports, but the whole time I was like, oh, I don't really care about this. I got hockey. I got hockey. I got hockey. I need hockey season. No. So theory, you went to Thayer Academy, right? Yeah. Uh, it's a well-known hockey school, obviously, in the Boston area. Amante, Jeremy Roenick, Brooks Orpec uh, attended there. What was that like? It was great. Um, when I was a freshman, I made the varsity team, which was awesome. Uh, at that time, I was—I think I was six-three, one hundred and fifty pounds, like literally, like maybe one, maybe one sixty. So, uh, same height as I am now, just sixty pounds lighter. But I—I uh, I remember just kind of being a little overwhelmed, right? I went from like the end of Pee Wee, and all of a sudden, I'm hopping into a room where I was unreal that I made the team. But I think we had six, maybe seven seniors on that team. They got full D1 scholarships. So it was a really good team. Oh, wow. We lost in the New England's, which is all the prep schools in the New England area. And that's back when high school hockey was really, really good. Um, it's taken a kind of a – in Massachusetts, it's taken a little bit of a step down where the best kids are kind of leaving their junior and senior year. And there's so many junior teams and junior leagues. And so everything's a bit watered down. But I would say that was the – that was a time where every every prep team in the in the in the ISL, mm-hmm. which was the school the league I played in, had kids going D one and great crowds, high school crowds, stuff you kind of imagine when you're younger. And I used to go and watch their play. Mike Motto, who won the Hobie Baker at BC, he was at there. Like I looked up and idolized him, and so it was awesome. It was great. You had to play a sport every season, so you know I played baseball stuff like that. But I was still really into hockey, and that's kind of when you started getting looked at by colleges and even at a young age i was kind of getting noticed and that's why i remember thinking fair was just a great spot because how good the team was well I, I played with a guy in sweden who played at arlington massachusetts and his father was the coach there for like 30 years and he ended up going to unh so he just just raved about how competitive and how crazy the hockey was in the area and oh uh, it's great it's just awesome so talk about the U.S. development program and how it how it really works. Explain the lesson. Now, Rick's son, Justin, it was a, a, a participant in the program as well. I believe it started in 1991, but you went around 99, 2000, I believe. I think it's I, I think it started in 99. I think was it, it was 99. Uh, yeah, I think the first because I there was a local kid who was there for the first year. I think it was 99, maybe 98, maybe 97. But it, it wasn't 91 because okay. I, I knew when it started, I was I was like young enough to be like oh my god like this is this new thing or maybe i'll get i'll get invited out there um so guys go their 17 and 18 year old year and um you go out there and basically it's they grab kids from all over the country the best players they bring them in for a tryout camp and then the team's selected 
And it's pretty much all, or at the time was all high school players, Minnesota kids, Massachusetts kids, local Michigan kids. And it's changed so much with how many players come Ooh. from all over these random states in the U.S. now, which is great for USA hockey. But it was different then. Uh, and then you go and you play the first year. I don't know if, what they do now. At the time, it was in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Now it's in Plymouth. They took over the Plymouth Whalers old arena. But yeah. you play... Uh, the 17s would play NAHL, the North American Hockey League schedule, yeah. while also playing like international events. And then the 18s would play in the USHL and play college teams. And, and that mm -hmm. was kind of new, too. That wasn't right off the bat. But we were there. We played Michigan State. We played uh, Western Michigan, played a bunch of played Maine, a bunch of big schools. And it's more about getting guys ready for college hockey. For the most part, all those kids, not all, but a high percentage are going to go play college. And to be able to play 50 to 65 games and to be stronger because of who you're playing against and the weight training and the strength and conditioning that you're doing there, it is just an elite program to get guys ready for that next level, opposed to coming from your senior high school yeah. where a big-time player might get 70 points in 25 games, you know, not really have the structure and the workouts and the things that really will make a player take that big leap at 17, 18 years old. So I actually was asked to go out there my sophomore year to play with the year-ups, the 82s. I was in 83. My dad said no way, which was the right decision. Then the junior year, they asked me to go with all the, when all the rest of the 83 birth years went. My dad still said no way. I was kind of immature, um, <laughs> not, re not necessarily ready to play like that junior-style hockey where there was fighting and things like that. And so then I went my senior year when it was kind of time and joined the kids the 83 birth years, and I have great memories. I remember looking back, though, I mean, we go to school and then you'd go to practice and then you'd work out for like two hours and there there was boxing. It was like I didn't I hated the boxing. Me and this other kid didn't like fighting. We used to just like <laughs> pretend to fight and then the guy would be like, start fighting. They'd put other guys against us. But it was long, long days. And um, it really prepared me for college hockey in a great way. We had I had three other kids. So four of us from that uh, national development program all went to BU. So it was pretty cool that we were all there that year and then played the next year as freshmen at BU. Yeah, I think uh, the program itself, like I remember my son went there. He was six foot four, about 180 <laughs> pounds when he went there. Two years later, when he came out, he was uh, six, six, like 225. It's crazy. I mean, it's just like incredible how, how quickly they develop in that program. And he got drafted by Sudbury. We went up to Sudbury. We're coming back. He said, Dad, do you think uh, I'm a really good player? And I said, no. I think you're a good player. I mean, you know, and you have your role that you, that you will play. But I said, I don't think you're a star player, if that's what you mean. And he said, okay, good. I got to go to the U.S. program because I don't think I'll play in, in Sudbury as a 16-year-old. I said, hey, that's good perfect wow. you know, i don't care what you do it's your choice uh the funny thing was <laughs> mature decision yeah no he's a, he was a pretty mature kid for his age and at 14 one of the elite baseball programs in southern ontario wanted him to play for their 16 and under team he was he was a better baseball player than he was a hockey player no shit. and they wouldn't let him or they didn't they said he couldn't play because it wasn't a hundred percent commitment which it basically was and he had eight scholarship offers for hockey. And I bet you if he had a plate on that team, I think he would have got 20 or more for baseball. He was that good. Wow. Wow. I mean, he was, 
he was throwing 80 miles an hour at 14 years old. <laughs> yeah, and he, and he was and he ended up being 6'6 too. That's what that's all they want in those horses on the mound, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at the one going for the Jays tonight against Boston. Or uh, the other night he pitched uh, Manoa. He's Manoa. Like six, yeah. Seven, oh yeah. He weighs like 270 pounds, so monster. Now, wit. He ended up at BU. BU beat Boston College, two big rivals. Talk about how you ended up going there. You must have had plenty of offers coming out of uh, the U.S. national program. Any offers going into the Canada to play junior? And just talk about why you decided on BU. Yeah, I always loved BU. Uh, when I was 12, like 10 to 13 age, like, you know, your peak college hockey years, if you're a kid from Boston, BU was unreal. They had they had teams with Chris Drury, Jay Pandolfo, Mike Greer, Tom Pody, the Sean Bates, Chris O'Sullivan, Chris Kelleher, all these guys that went on to be really good pro players. And so I would go to the games and they won the 95 national title. I think they lost in the 97 final. Just the years that I was loving college hockey, BU was was incredible. Um, they also sold beer at the games, so my dad loved that. BC <laughs> didn't do that. So it was kind of BU or BC. Uh, I didn't really want to go away for college just because of how good the schools were around here. So I committed early. I, I had committed. Uh, I think I was committed after my sophomore year of high school. So I went to the national program already knew, knowing I was going to BU. Mm -hmm. um, there was a couple options for me to go major junior, but at that time they had switched. I want to say in 2000, 2001-ish, maybe even 98, 99, they switched Massachusetts to the Quebec League. So oh, it used to right. be the OHL, which yeah. maybe I would have considered, but my parents were – we're all about, you know, school and education. And so I and I wanted to play college hockey. So um, that was that was kind of the route for me and how I chose there. And and just going to the games growing up and kind of imagining playing for BU made it pretty simple for me. Yeah, now, we, had a, we had a kid in our in Sherbrooke who played with us from Boston. Uh, Mike Breen, I don't know if you know him. He was a oh. crazy son of a bitch, but he was from Boston. Tough oh, as nails. <laughs> Mike, I wonder if he ended. There was a coach for Situate High Hockey that might have been. Maybe that's the same guy. Oh, maybe it is. I, but he was. He came in and played uh, three, uh, two years. Well, two years with me because I left. Squid, um, what's twenty five years younger than us for fuck's sake? No, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, but I might know the name. Small world here. Yeah, it is, and uh, and I don't. I don't really like. I BU think it is the same guy. I think it is. <laughs> it, it could be. Uh, but I hate BU because they beat us in the finals of the Frozen Four one year when my son was at Miami, Ohio. Oh, your son was on that team. Oh, my God. Oh, that, yeah. Oh, two goals in what was it, 20 seconds or something? Jesus. Yeah. It was, uh, was they scored two goals in the last minute and then beat us in overtime in the final game. It was like we were up 3-1 with six minutes left. The coach played two lines in 4D the rest of the game and – and they ran out of gas. That was yeah. a miracle. I remember watching that. Yeah. Yeah. I was in the corner right there behind the net where they Crying. scored. It was like, oh, Christ, please don't go <laughs> in. <laughs> hey, uh, now, what your draft here? Hearing any chatter, you obviously were the ratings were coming out and stuff. That, what, what was the word you're hearing going into it? Um, I just remember knowing, well, that was the year Jay Bowmeister was going to go first overall for about four years. Everyone had said that. And he played World Juniors as a 16-year-old, just an incredible player. But Rick Nash came on really strong. And and, and so I knew it was kind of Bowmeister. Uh, Carrie Lettinen was the goalie that everyone was talking about. It turned out to kind of be a weak draft. But 
Um, then Rick Nash came. And then after that, it was Yoni Pickinen was a really good defenseman from Finland. And then I, I was kind of right there with Scotty Upshaw, Joffrey Lupul's name, um, some other guys. And so I, I feel like I knew I wasn't going to be top three, possibly fourth or fifth. And after Pickinen went to four, uh, I knew a local scout, a Boston guy who was a Pittsburgh Penguin scout, Neil Shea. He kind of looked up to where I was sitting, yeah. gave me the thumbs up, like, you're next. So, you know, it's such a whirlwind. I don't really – I wish I remembered it, right? It was just so exciting, and you're walking down the stairs. You hug your parents. I do remember Gary Bettman says, welcome to the NHL. I think he says it to every guy who gets drafted. And then taking the pictures, and next thing you know, you're running around doing interviews and – and 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 just more than anything you're just so overwhelmed by like oh my god like i i was i always dreamt being a first round draft pick and it happened a top five pick so it was it was it was such a memorable day i remember i had a couple buddies there in town my parents my brothers so it was just an amazing experience i'll never forget it any uh, crazy interviews leading into it no not really we actually it's funny we always ask the guys that on chicklets uh i didn't have anything too crazy you know some of the guys We'll try being kind of hard asses and and ask you a question and never laugh at anything you say more than anything, probably to see how you react. But I have no I also have an awful memory. I don't remember anything that was like, you know, had me like thinking, what the hell? I, I didn't interview with that many teams, too, because I think now it's more common where teams, a bunch of teams, even if they're sitting at 25th to 30th and a guy's a top five, top 10 pick, they'll. They'll still interview him, but back then I, I didn't interview with that many teams that weren't picking relatively high. So I don't really remember anything too crazy being said. Well, you and I both fifth overall picks then. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I never had fifty goals in a season. But mine was in nineteen seventy nine. We did not have <laughs> we it was a phone draft because that was the year the WHA and NHL merged. And it was in August. So thinking about waiting all summer for the goddamn draft. And then oh my and God. I thought I was going to go fourth to Washington. And I ended up, they took Mike Gartner, which that's a pretty good pick. I would think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 700 goals. I think scored or something like that. Fastest <laughs> hey, skater gonna, in the league. Hey, what I was going to say to you, by the way, when you guys, we ask that question all the time on here about guys, about the crazy interviews and still the best answer we've had so far came from Ethan Morrow from Harry. Oh. Sinden. This is Harry Sinan asked him during his meeting. He said, what number do you want to wear when you become a Boston Bruin or if you become a Boston Bruin? And without meeting a beat, missing a beat, Morrow says four or eight. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Harry Sinan looked at around him, with him. Get out. I, I, just, I don't think he wanted to go to Boston, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll take Orr or Neely's. Take it out of the rafters and give it to me. <laughs> Ethan Morrow, Chop, he was my captain in Edmonton. I was just with him briefly. He was a great guy, though. Yeah, I'm going to play with him in, uh, uh, I don't know, some hockey tournament for uh, uh, this week, this weekend coming up. Oh, nice, nice. Tell yeah. him I said hello. Yeah, he's a great guy. So we talked about yeah. so your first camp with Pittsburgh and kind of what went on, what you were thinking. I guess where I'm going from is, like, you get your top five pick, the expectations are high from you, feeling pretty good about yourself, the team. But once you get there, how quickly does reality set in? And then all of a sudden that reality and the expectation sort of turns to survival. Yeah, so I actually got really lucky in terms of that because a lot of kids who, um, you know, get picked high, they're kind of thrown right into the wolves and they're at camp with all these expectations. But 
I stayed in college uh, for two more years, and which is great for the college kids, right? You don't have to, you know, you could stay as long as you want, really. And um, I stayed two more years. And then when I did come out, I left right after my junior season ended. I went and joined the AHL team. Uh, they had a really good team. We ended up going to the Calder Cup finals. Yep. So I had to get this, I got to get this experience of hopping right into pro hockey but not be in the nhl but the ahl and and had a good run i played a lot i played well um and we went to we got swept in the finals by the milwaukee admirals i think it is and we lost in the calder cup finals but then what was really nice is the next year i didn't really have the pressure of having to make the nhl because that was the lockout so the next season the lockout year it was all about you know, the best young players on every NHL team went down to the minors. So the league was phenomenal. I would say the following year, there was five or six guys from every team in the NHL. So the league was great. Um, it was another full year as opposed to just hopping into the playoffs. I hopped in and really learned like an 80 game season where you got to show up every night. You got to pace yourself. We went to the second round that season. Um, mm -hmm. And then really from there, it was like all season. I didn't have to you know, get pissed off. If I wasn't getting called up. I didn't have to worry about like what's going on up on the main team. So it was like, there was no pressure um, besides, you know, the pressure of performing and improving as a player, but no pressure to get up to the yeah. NHL. So I never had to deal with that. And then the next year I, I didn't make the team out of camp, which I was, I kind of got screwed. I thought I had a really good camp, but they had like eight D on one ways. And then the team really struggled. It was Crosby's rookie year. So I got called up about nine games in and then uh, didn't go back down. Um, so it was, it was good. I, you know, cause I took my time and I, I kind of believe in the fact that unless you're, you know, a Crosby McDavid, it's like, I kind of think everyone should spend a little time in the minors. I think it's good for not only the game, but the mind to see like what, how good the NHL really is. You know, you see the buses and the meals and the AHL and you get up to the NHL, you appreciate it a little bit more because you kind of know what what the difference is between the AHL and the NHL. But obviously there's some guys that have no business playing down there, but I loved how the, how it went for me. It's yeah. It's, uh, no, it's, it, I think you're right. I mean, that, that's a perfect scenario that you went through. Uh, to yeah, get you so ready. Much time. Yeah. I mean, there's so many 18, 19 year olds that are just not ready to play at the highest level. You know, and it's, it's kind of ridiculous how they rush some of them in and, uh, and then the next thing you know, they're done in five or six years and yeah. nobody knows where they are. It's a, it's a tough league. Yeah. Very oh, but tough in your league. case, though, when, I mean, you're sitting there and all of a sudden this influx of young talent with Sid, Malkin, Marc-Andre Fleury, Jordan Stahl, yourself. You must have been sitting back at some point as this team started to get better and thinking there's something special here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the Crosby dynamic was wild because like we were – we were one of the we were one of the worst teams in the league, but you know every city we went into it was crazy, and the rink was sold out, and it was just like everyone wanted to see him. Not to mention, you know, I I, can't, I think I came up November first. Mario played until middle of December, so we you know you had Mario on the team for for half of that year. I got to play about twelve games with him. So Mario and Sid, and then yes, Flurry's there. He's playing phenomenal. Jordan Stahl came in the next year um and then the next year also was when malkin came in so by the by the following year my second year it was wild because we're looking at it thinking like wow we're super improved we went from one of the worst teams in the league even though we had a really good last 20 to 30 game stretch but it's a lot different when you're playing games that don't matter but we played well 
And then that led into the next year, and 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 Malkin and Stahl were there, and all of a sudden we're winning a lot of games. Like we're we're we're, and you just kind of could tell like the teams, the the team that this is turning into could be something special. You get the young goalie, you have three star young centermen install Malkin Crosby. So like right through the middle, um, you know, Brooks Orpik was a real physical young defenseman. Rob Scuderi was just coming into his own. He'd spent a lot of time in the minors uh, my, myself. You know, it was just like Daryl Sador came in. Sergey Gonchar really bounced back from kind of a first tough year in Pittsburgh. Then he became unbelievable. And so the team quickly became very good. That year we lost to Ottawa in the first round. But you could tell going from one of the worst teams in the league to a playoff team and then losing to Ottawa, who went to the cup finals, they lost to Anaheim. You could tell something special was brewing there. What about uh, your favorite coach, Michelle Therrien? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually I give I, I give him a lot of shit on the pod occasionally. But I also have said he was he was a good coach. I mean, he was really good at getting the most out of guys because he did it a little bit out of fear and he could do that to young guys. But. He was good at, uh, at shutting other players down. He was really good at game planning. Um, and then over time, like a lot of coaches, like the message kind of just, you know, yeah. when you're giving it in a rough and tough manner, over time, guys can kind of tune you out a little bit. So that year he was fired. I was traded like a week or two later. They ended up winning the Stanley Cup when Dan Bosman came in. But he was the perfect coach to come in. My rookie year when Ed Olchuk got fired, Terrian came in. He'd been in Wilkes-Barre. He knew all the young guys. He was perfect because it was kind of a little bit of a country club. It was, you know, now granted, part of it's like Mark Recchi, John LeClaire, like I said, Mario is older guys. And Ed, Ed Olchuk hadn't coached before, and he was such a good player. But it was just a little different. Terrian came in and just kind of cracked the whip. So all of a sudden, he, he, he really just changed the entire culture around Pittsburgh. And that was the beginning of turning the team into a true winning uh, professional kind of organization that that wasn't laissez-faire and it was more like show up and do your work or else well let's well, set this well, let, he's let's not my fa- he's not one of my favorite guys i i almost <laughs> had a fight with him really when I, I was coaching in st john and he was coaching in fredericton and in the american league back then you dress 16 and 2 unless the coaches agreed to dress 17 or 18 and 2 well, every time we played him, we had more depth, and he would say, I don't have more than 16. That's all I have. And I'd go, <laughs> So then I'd look up, I'd see about eight guys sitting in the goddamn stands <laughs> with suits on. And every time we played, then finally about the fourth time, I think we played him, and I said, you're such a fucking asshole. And he, he just he turned around and goes, what did you say? And then I, I just said, you know, I told him again. And then he came over, and I said, don't come any closer. I said, I'm going to drill you. <laughs> and I know he was a tough guy when he played, but you know what? I was I was a little bit younger than him and probably in better shape, so I might have done off. okay. <laughs> I like your chances, Squid. Well, now, now, Wit, you know, you just to set this up a little bit for you, 2007 free agency pending. You signed a big ticket after a big offensive year. You guys lose them uh, to Detroit, so the expectations are very high. You then the next couple of years, you have that problem with your feet. You're going through some injury problems. Then all of a sudden. The frustrations I'm setting in, I'm sure. Then February 26, 2009, you know, I'm going with this. You hear those three words players never want to hear, and it isn't, it's your round. You've been traded. (laughs) And you get moved right before the deadline. You like to joke about it all the time about Chris Kunitz and big success, Stanley Cup, 
what was going through your mind through all of that? Well, first of all, Mike, I don't think I've ever heard a hockey player hate the words it's your round, okay? <laughs> well, that's what I'm <laughs> but uh, hey, we didn't mind paying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I remember it clearly. I was actually home and I was visiting my mom who was going through some health stuff and just got the phone call from Ray Sherrill. You've been traded. And it was just shocking, right? It's like you kind of heard rumblings, but until it happens to you, you don't really understand like how you're going to feel and what actually the emotions are because of it's all you've known. And every guy who's traded from that first team that he came up with, that's the, that's the truly shocking one because you don't really know anything else. And I knew a decent amount of guys around the league, but not a ton. And it turned out I didn't know anyone in Anaheim. Um, so, I, you know, just the fact of you're traded, so you're no longer a part of the Pittsburgh Penguins, that's like a shock. And then it's like you're traded to Anaheim, which is, you know, a six-hour flight away, another shock, and you're in a different conference. And I, I, I immediately, though, I, I mean, I tried to look at the bright side in terms of, you know, Pronger was on Anaheim, Scott Niedermeyer was on Anaheim, they had Getzlaff, Perry. I mean, that year they were kind of humming along, like not playing great, but just trying to get in the playoffs. And so I went there, and obviously you see the success the Penguins had and Kunitz had, and they went on to win the Stanley Cup, which was just crazy. And wasn't that surprising with the team they had, but Detroit was probably better that year than the year they beat us. And they were able to get it done at game seven and Joe Lewis. But when I got to Anaheim, I got to see like, wow, this team's pretty good. Francois Beauchemin was a defenseman. James Wisniewski, another American I knew who was a year younger than me. He got traded uh, right as I did. So we had a good D, and we went. We took Detroit to Game Seven. We lost. Uh, Dan Cleary scored with about two minutes left at Game Seven at Joe Louis Arena, or else we could have maybe gone to the Cup Finals and played Pittsburgh, which would have been wild. But we, um, we had we had a good we had a good group of guys there. But I do remember just being shell shocked and going into the room and not knowing anyone, and them not knowing your personality. It's hard to then kind of be yourself. Because you don't want anyone to think like, oh, what's this guy's all? What's this guy's deal? When everyone in Pittsburgh kind of knows what you're all about, it's just it's a tough setting. It's a tough beginning going to somewhere new. But it's it's you, you learn quickly. That's the business, right? You kind of you always think you're going to be in a spot forever, and then you're not, and then you got to get used to it fast because that's what it is. It is a business. Well, you lasted with the team that drafted you a hell of a lot longer than I did. I got traded in February of my rookie year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they got rid of you real quick. Oh, yeah. Well, Harry Neal said he, he beat me in the five-mile run in, in training camp. And I I said, I don't even think Harry could walk fucking five miles, let alone run. <laughs> like, come on. Like, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, seriously. No way. Well, then a couple, so after Anaheim, you end up in Edmonton. You have a fond, fondness for Edmonton. And maybe explain to the listeners what it is that why Edmonton is so near and dear to you. Oh, yeah, so it's really funny because I was hated in Edmonton. And now at this point in my career, <laughs> I I actually – so I had one big foot operation in Pittsburgh, kind of came back struggling. I then had to do the same operation to the other foot after the year in, An in Edmonton – in Anaheim, excuse me. And then I came back, and then I was feeling great for the first time in a long time, and I was having the best season of my career in Edmonton. And the team was struggling, but I was leading the team in scoring through 35 games. I think I had 27 or 28 points in 35 games. My feet felt healthy. I was like, this is awesome. I'm back, you know? And boom, I took a stride just completely out of nowhere. Nobody near me. And, and my posterior tendon, it's in the inside of the right ankle, just completely dislocated. It was on the wrong side of my foot. 
And I said, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> I kind of knew that might have been it. And I got back from that. And I could never really skate again. So then Ed Anaheim, Edmonton has my contract. And I had another three, four years there, I think. And I couldn't really skate. I couldn't skate at, at all. And um, so I wasn't the same player. So gr granted, I'm the big, tall defenseman who's not physical and slow. And I'm making, you know, six million, four million bucks, excuse me. And, you know, they hated me. But I did always really appreciate, and especially when I retired, and there were times when I was there when I hated it, right? Because they hated me. I was like, it's cold. It's miserable. This is brutal. Wish I wasn't here. The team, we were awful. But as I got older and as I moved on and to where I'm at now, I appreciate so much the level of fandom in, in Edmonton. is It's amazing. I mean, there's one pro team. Well, granted, they have the Eskimos, the the, yeah. the CFL. But no offense, guys. The CFL is a joke. So the, yeah. <laughs> the city of Edmonton is like over a million people. It's the Oilers. And I actually love the old arena, Rexall. I never – I mean, Northlands Coliseum back in the day. And I never got to see – I haven't even been to the new arena. But I've been so in tune with these fans' struggles. And for such a long time, yeah, they had these amazing runs in the 80s. And they won the Cup in the early 90s as well. But, I mean, we're looking at – besides 2005, it's like it's been 20 years of just depression there. Horrible, horrible teams. First-round picks, first overall picks, and nothing. And these people, all they want to do is have a good team. And, and being there and seeing their passion – I've now just hopped on board to the point where I'm like, I want Edmonton to be good. I was an oiler. The, the, the saying is once an oiler, always an oiler. And I kind of think that for me being as hated as I was by the fan base, it almost shows even more how great of a fan base it is because I'm still rooting for them to win. I love watching McDavid. I think he's one of the greatest players ever to play hockey. Watching him is a joy. Dwight style is the same thing. I, I just, I'm rooting for them because of the fan base and the passion they have. And it's funny because I hate the Leafs and I go at Leafs fans all the time, which is pretty much the same thing. They've had even more torture, I guess, but at least wow. they've been in the playoffs lately. So it's more about playing for a team and seeing the passion and now yeah. rooting for them to really have something come to fruition. So I'm on the Oilers bandwagon. Well, you hit a nerve there with us, I think. Uh, I know, it? I know. I can't believe you guys even had me on. I go at the Leafs harder than anyone. What is it, fifty some years now, and haven't won around in fourteen or sixteen years? I mean, but I think I, this I think be, it's longer than you haven't won. When was the last time they won around? Sixty-seven. Oh, uh, two thousand four, I believe. Oh, it's my been a while. God, eighteen years for Christ. Yeah, well, we don't like to talk about all that stuff. Well, what do you right guys now, think this like, year? If they don't do it this year, it may right. If they don't win around this year, I don't. I, this could be it. Well. I think the first round for them is going to be difficult mentally just yes. because if of they what, win what's that. happened. If, if they, they get win by that, the first I'm round, scared. they could go all the way. Yep. yep. They're that good. And, yep. well, uh, I, we're going to change the subject, okay? Because that's something. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's, 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 <laughs> Wilson doesn't no, want to get just, rattled. Uh, what Mike, I do, I'm, just, I'm being positive here. <laughs> I know, Spit. I know, I know. But I want to, I want to get into a couple of things with him. We want to talk about Spit and Chick. But before we get to that, I want to talk about your experience in Russia, um, particularly maybe give the people a little rundown on what went on there, how the living conditions were, what you did, and, and most importantly, finish off with the gas. Oh, yeah. So so I um, I went over there because, uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to play in the NHL anymore. I'd spent the year prior in the AHL. I really didn't want to do that again. It's a grind. Um, and I figured, why not? You can make a lot more money in Russia. 
And I I said, I'll, I'll give it a go. I talked to some guys. Mike Commodore is a good buddy of mine. He said, dude, it's awful, but you can do it. And I didn't go over. I, so guys have to go over like July 4th usually. I didn't go over till I think it was October, October 15th. So I missed about 15, 20 games and training camp, which is by far and away the worst part. And and I said, all right, I'll do it. It was pretty good money. And I went over and I was miserable. Oh, my God, was it awful. Awful. The games were great. The games were really fun. Great crowds, great old school arenas, some really good teams, some really good hockey. We had an expansion team. We actually made the playoffs. So it was pretty fun. I played pretty well over there, too. Um, but everything else, oh, my God. I remember the off days. Oh, my God. I, I We would practice at, like, 10. And, you know, you're in no rush. I'd work out because you had nothing to do. You get back to your room at 1 o'clock, and you're just like, I just can't wait to go to bed so that this day's over. And I watched a million shows on Netflix and, you know, all that stuff. And um, I did really enjoy the games, though. And then now that I did it, I'm really happy I did it because I got to experience something that was that wild and – and I, I and ask any single guy who plays in Russia, you will never be a happier human being. Besides when, we, my, 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 when, my, when my two boys were born, the, other, the only other time I've been close to that happy is when you get home from Russia. It is. <laughs> oh, my God. You're on American soil or Canadian soil. You get the food you want. You, you're, everyone's speaking English. It's like there is no better feeling. So looking back, I was happy I did it. But at the time, it was it was a grind. It was a grind. I mean, you're practicing. The, the coaches over there, they're, you practice for like three hours a day. They're like stuck in the in the stone ages in terms of nowadays, NHL teams are practicing 40 minutes, quick pace, moving around, get a sweat. Over there, it's like you're on the ice doing br- control breakout. They're blowing the whistle. It's a grind. Uh, the Russian gas you mentioned, that's when I said I played pretty well. I never actually had the gas. So some guys get the mass over their face and they get the gas. I saw guys going in like after warmups or before warmups and getting like an IV. I'm like, what's that? They're like, oh, you feel strong, strong. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'll go do that. I remember yeah. I did it. At, uh, we were playing Dynamo Moscow, which was the team Ovechkin played for uh, before he came over. But I got this IV. I, I was flying around like my rookie year in Pittsburgh. I was like, I think I could play in the NHL again. And then the next day it wore off and I could barely skate. <laughs> so I... uh I remember having some funny experiences, though. Luckily, I had some good imports because the Russian guys hang together and then the imports hang together. I had a, a couple, a good dude from Finland, two good guys from Finland, good kid from Sweden. Corey Emerton was a Canadian kid, uh, played in Detroit, had him and a Czech goalie. So it was a long grind, but I'm happy I did it. Well, didn't you have a funny story with your driver? You guys had your own driver, did you not? And Oh, yeah, we had a driver and like he got pulled over and. Like the cop comes up and he just like hands the guy a bunch of rubles and the cops like, okay, thank you. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> there's no rules over there. Everyone and just says it, it's Russia. Did, That's what they say. It's Russia. There's no rules. There's and no, like, do the there's same no thing pattern to traffic. There's no pattern of people walking. They're just like, there's no lines. They just push everywhere. It's just crazy. And didn't Malkin do, try to do the same thing in the U.S. one yeah, time? Yeah, yeah, Malkin had tried to do that when he was in Pittsburgh <laughs> before he even had a license, I think it was, and they had to call Gonchar to come get him. <laughs> I remember going to Russia. I coached a uh, Bantam team, uh, an all-star team from the GTHL uh, in the Tretsiak tournament over there. And so we're staying in this, well, a lot of them had a lot of money, so they were staying downtown in a big hotel in Moscow. And, we were a little bit outside the city. There was 
four parents staying in the hotel where the kids and, and I were. Anyway, we're, <laughs> oh my God, we go to McDonald's and we got to go in this mall and we're walking in the corridor and it stinks like hell. And there's about eight guys standing there, one landing of this walking into the mall. And there's probably about 40 empty beer bottles on the floor. <laughs> These guys were all shit faced. <laughs> oh, then, yeah, that's normal. Oh, and then we're driving the bus one day and there's this beautiful park and we have to stop at a red light. And I'm looking out the window. I take a double take and there's this woman squatting down by a tree having a dump. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, that's Russia. <laughs> like, I, I never thought I'd ever see that anywhere, but I mean, that's one place I will never go back. I'm convinced if I went back, somebody would have me shot. So I'm, <laughs> I will never step foot in that country again. Well, I thought I was going to get killed. I went up. We're sitting in this little room where. We started cooking food for the kids, like pasta. We went to the store. So anyway, we're sitting in this. There's these two Russian guys, and they they start sit down and they start talking. And they're they got a teapot, but it's not tea in there. I can tell you that. And so they're getting a little drunk. And the guy says, "Come, come, come with me. I I I'll show you something. I have a gift for you." And I'm like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." So I walk with the guy up to the second floor. We go into this room. He goes to the wall and he hits the, the something to the wall and a door opens. <laughs> Walk into this other room, and he's sitting there. He's offering me watches and and uh, he brought out this thing. I don't know what the hell it was. Food, some kind of food. I guess it's that fish. Uh, what do huh. they call that? Oh uh, uh, yeah, fillet of fish from McDonald's. No, the 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 real expensive stuff. Um, oh, the caviar. Caviar and. I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. And then he bringing out the booze. I said, no, I don't drink. I'm okay. I'm okay. And then one guy left, and the other guy said, I, I go to the bathroom. I, I took, I fucking got out of there so quick oh, and ran out. It. I said, I, I said, these guys are gonna kill me. Yeah. <laughs> who knows what? Who knows what their plan is? Yeah, I didn't now, know. Now, Ryan, what everybody wants to know about uh, the listeners, the spit and chicklets. Uh, Awesome podcast. Uh, you Thank guys you. have done a phenomenal job. And I think you've just captured the hearts of hockey fans everywhere. And I think part of the reason is, well, get your thoughts on this, is that for once, it's sort of given this expose on the hockey players that people didn't realize were there. We hear from baseball players and football players and basketball players telling us how great they are all the time. But for once, here are hockey players now telling us, like as I said this good when we started this, People don't give a shit how many goals you scored if you're around three guys and you roofed it and you scored two. What they want to hear is who paid for the drinks yeah. after or were you up till five in the morning the night before and you scored three goals that night. That's what they want to hear. They want to live through you. So you coming from hockey and you're a big personality, so I'm sure you were behind a lot of the shenanigans going on on your teams throughout your career. How did the spit and chuckles all come about? Uh, Paul Bissonette and I had played together for a little bit in, in Wilkes-Barre and Pittsburgh, became pretty good buddies. And then, you know, we were we were friendly and then we kind of reconnected when we were on a tryout together with the Blues kind of near the end of both our, our careers. And we were chatting about like, what should we do after we should do something after we had a buddy, Keith Yandel is still playing, talking about how he wanted to just 
have guys go to the rink in the morning and just get dressed and shoot the shit and hang out and then just go home, not even go on the ice. <laughs> so basically, like, you know, just never lose the locker room aspect of the being around the boys, the best part of hockey. So um, when I was done playing, I just, you know, I, my wife was like, oh, you should start a podcast. I didn't really know what podcasts were. And I put out a tweet saying, you know, should I start a podcast? Would anyone listen? And what do you think? Uh, and I tagged bissonette on it he called me right away he's like i can't do that yet i'm still playing because you can't do it right till you're done playing right you can't say what you really want to yeah. say well under contract and and in the meantime the rear admiral the third guy on our show he wrote me a dm he's like you want to do it i was like yeah sure i knew him a little bit um and and then from then it took off and, and obviously it got somewhat big but then when biz came and then once biz retired he's like i'm in i'm in i was just kind of waiting for him to retire <laughs> and then with his personality and his stories it exploded and yeah, I appreciate what you're saying. I think more than anything, it's hockey players are the best, best guys in the world. If you're talking about pro athletes, it's like hockey players are the most genuine down to earth guys ever. It's like so normal when a lot of people say, oh, I met this hockey star. He's like the most normal guy. And I don't know what it is, right? I mean, it's just um, a lot of humble people and, and, and people who kind of care about the team, right? Where I think a lot of other sports, it is more about me, me, me. And the thing is, for our show, it would probably be better if the athletes were like NFL and NBAers where they want to talk about themselves. But it's kind of hard because it's hockey guys. So sometimes you got to really get them to actually pump their own tires because they never really want to talk about themselves. That's hockey in a nutshell. But the best compliment, the two best compliments I get about the show, and every time somebody says they listen as i say thank you so much like the fact that people listen same with you guys they listen to the show it's, it's it's a great feeling like people want to listen to you guys talk it's it's a little overwhelming but they say it feels like i'm in the locker room again which is so true because it's you know we interview certain guys and you're just totally shooting the shit and guys who played sports didn't even just have to be hockey they're like oh that's what it's all about it's just it's busting each other's balls and hanging out and having a good time and laughing with each other. It reminds me of being in the locker room. And then the other thing people say is, oh, your show kind of got me into the sport of hockey where people who aren't that into hockey may start listening, whether they're fans of Barstool or, or fans of Biz or whatever it is. And then because of the show, they start checking out NHL games or they pick an NHL team. And they, so that's pretty cool. When people say those two things, it makes uh, myself and the other guys I know feel pretty good because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a you know, yes, as squid, it's, when you're done playing, it's hard, right? You you knew this one thing. It's all you had. And and you have this worry, like, what am I going to do next? Even if you made a lot of money, it's like, well, uh, there's a saying, I can't think of it, but having a lot of free time and a lot of money isn't necessarily a good thing in life, right? You need to have a purpose. You need to have a drive. You need to have a reason to be getting up and doing things. And now I'm, I know myself and Paul feel super lucky to be retired and have something that we're doing and have something that we care about because when you're kind of in the time when you're figuring out what to do and you can't find what to do, it, it can be hard. So I appreciate the kind words. No, well, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I think, think what we like is the fact that it's like four guys sitting around the bar, shooting the shit, cutting each other up, telling stories like buddies do yeah. and yeah. then throwing in, throwing in good information or good observations on the game when you get to it. And I think the fact that you guys are so, humble about yourselves and like biz who is kind of the comical character and i was trying to think of how to compare him and here's a guy who i could think of uh, compare him to and you had him on your show and he's no longer with us but eddie shack 
And oh, Eddie that, Shaq. Hey, we said we said we got to interview Eddie in Philadelphia, and I said, I go, Biz, that's like you before you were around. Eddie Shaq, it, and and Eddie Shaq was big into getting the the off ice um endorsement. I, we said that. We said oh, he, was the, he was Biz before Biz. Dumbest he was a character. God, I yeah, but Biz guy. can read and write, though. <laughs> hey, are you sure about that? Yeah, well, are you I'm, sure? I'm not positive. I'm not 100% positive. <laughs> well, remember, Biz was talking about his bubblegum group that he followed was bigger than the Rolling Stones. And when you hear stuff like that, you, you just got to look and shake your head. Did he really just say that? Oh, he says some stuff that's out of this world. It's so funny. The one comment that he made, I think, is one of the best comebacks I heard with you was when you were talking about Leon Drysdale that day and he made the comment about the cologne and you oh. exploded. That, maybe, oh, yeah. that is my favorite moment. That was so classic biz because we're talking about Drysdale <laughs> and I know how he is. So he grabs the mouse and he clicks on Google and he writes in Leon Drysdale and up pops Cologne Germany. But biz, all he sees is Cologne and says, yeah. is it true he's starting a Cologne? And I'm like, <laughs> I think this dude just Googled him and I go, did you just Google him and see that's where he's from? He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> but Biz yeah. is so good. I mean, I've never met somebody better at laughing at himself. Like, he is unbelievable. Absolutely. He's just, and, and Biz, if you guys ever get to see him around, like, he's he is so famous now. And he does so much. Like, anywhere we go. Like, if I get recognized by, by one, in, you know, once in a while, it's like times 10 with him. And he's so good at talking to people. He makes them all laugh. He's cracking jokes. They're making fun of him. It's just like he's a very personable, well-liked person that makes it e – he's easily approachable. And I think that's part of the show. Well, somebody well, must I like you, Wet, because you've got a drink named after you, Pink Whitney. Now, that <laughs> is a story all in itself. Now, come on. How did yeah, that yeah, that's nuts. Apart? So um, New Amsterdam Vodka became our presenting sponsor where we find that we were kind of looking to find somebody to be willing to – you know, pay to be every episode be brought to you by New Amsterdam Vodka. So they came on, and then the first episode, they asked us just to generically talk about vodka, talk about New Amsterdam Vodka, New Amsterdam Vodka, excuse me, talk about what our favorite vodka drinks are, just so we were chatting about New Amsterdam in an organic way, and then moving forward, we'd bring them up at the beginning of every episode. And guys said vodka soda, vodka on the rocks, blah, blah, blah. And I actually always drank vodka pink lemonade, especially in the summer. I grew up, I would always drink pink lemonade. I remember going to the movies and getting those like quadruple XL pink lemonades, probably 5,000 grams of sugar. And so then as I got older, I started drinking vodka on the golf course. I just do pink lemonade. And I just totally said it like I was, you know, I was, I was saying it in my way, but it was true. And then all of a sudden, just so organically, just so lucky you know, strike a lightning. People were just tweeting nonstop pictures of New Amsterdam vodka or any vodka with pink lemonade. And now oh, pink Whitney. I actually don't even know. I've said this. I don't even know where the name came up. I didn't say I called it a pink Whitney. There's probably somebody out there who tweeted like pink. I'm, I'm having a pink Whitney who pretty much named the drink. But that that started catching on. And Biz was like, dude, let's try to make our own drink. Let's go to New Amsterdam and tell them to make this drink. I, I think it would sell. And I was so overwhelmed by it. I'm like, nobody's going to – I was more like, I'm not having a drink with my name on it. It's going to be really embarrassing when it sells three bottles. <laughs> and Biz said, no, no, these fans are so loyal. I think we'll sell some. And New Amsterdam, was they were down to do it. And I think New Amsterdam thought it might be one of those, you know, drop a 1,000 bottles, you know, one-time thing. And 
they dropped in Canada and they were flying off the shelf and, and it's kind of yeah. never stopped. And it's, it's crazy. It's, it's very, very, like it's I said, lightning in a bottle, no pun intended. It's wild be in story. the millions, isn't it? By now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts. So it's, um, now we got all the different sizes and they're really going after, you know, the college age kids. So many people chirp me about it being pink. I'm like, you think I give a shit what color it is? <laughs> <laughs> now wait, talk about how you did the taste test. Oh yeah, I don't know if Viver knows this story. They uh, they they had us in for the taste test, so they were gonna bring in a bunch of different um, versions, and we were gonna te test and decide which one we like better. And so there was like eight different bottles, and I took the first one, and Biz was with me. We really liked the first one, didn't like the second one, third one was okay. So we got rid of four, so we had four left, and then we went through the, those four we picked, and we kind of got those down to two. And then we got from the, the the last two, we're like, all right, this is it. This is the one. And it was like an hour, and we were pretty wrecked by the end of it, drinking vodka <laughs> the whole time. And they're like, oh, well, um, that's funny because every single one was the exact same. We already picked it. <laughs> I was like, what the sh What the fuck? I go, you didn't even give me a chance. So I said, that video is never making the light of day. But I think we did, I think we did drop it at one point because it's funny. We're like, oh, that's awful. That one's terrible. It's the same exact thing. <laughs> now, Scred, we, uh, we know uh, Witt's very busy and uh, got lots of stuff on the go, so we don't want to keep you too long. But any final comments before we let him get to probably another podcast he has to do at some point? Well, before, before you go, I, I know that my son in Cincinnati and all his teammates, all the young guys their age, they, they watch it all the time. I mean, he, he calls me sometimes and just says, did you see the, the last one with so-and-so? It was, it was hilarious. You got to watch it. Uh, that, I tell him I really appreciate that. And um, we actually did uh, we did a pretty cool thing. Biz went to three different East Coast League games. I went to one of them. And we, we filmed a bunch of stuff and Biz did this awesome series. And and I, I would actually love to get more involved in the East Coast Hockey League. I think the East Coast Hockey League is like I don't want to say like it's the UFC before the UFC. I think it is there's so much untapped potential in the East Coast Hockey League. And my main reason is the AHL is a supreme greeting ground for a lot of young players to the NHL. The East Coast Hockey League is old school hockey, right? Where they still mm -hmm. have fighting. They still have these crazy fanatic fans. And they have these towns where hockey's the only thing there. And I think that the East Coast League, if run right, could really explode. Because the hockey's so entertaining. And people love fights. I'm sorry. Like, people get so yeah. upset about all that. People love fighting in the game of hockey. And I think the way the East Coast League's going, it could become pretty special. So hopefully we start doing more with them. But tell your son, I, I, we, we really appreciate it. Love to catch up with him sometime. Well, he gets, he, he, he mucks it up pretty good. He, he usually of course gets, he does. He gets about 115 or 20 or 50 penalty minutes a year. That's, Boy, that's six, 119 six, more than me. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, we, we are big supporters of ECHL ourselves, Wed, and we have we try to bring as many players on and coaches and yeah. managers as we can on the show yeah. to talk about it and promote it. And we're we're big supporters of it. And we think it is the new generation of players to come through that with the influx of players we're seeing in the league. Yeah, and and it's, 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 it's old school hockey, and it's guys that are really playing for the love of the game. You know, they love hockey. All the guys playing down there. So, I but love it's it. all it's also a great tool for NHL teams. Oh, yeah. Like to have that three-tier yes. system type thing where – because, I mean, we got – well, they're all gone back up to Rochester or elsewhere now, but we, we did have eight or nine contracted guys at the beginning of the year. 
And these are guys they signed out of junior or out of college, and they just aren't ready right yet for the American League. So play in the ECHL for a year or half a year or whatever, and then he gets in the American League. And, I mean, look, I mean, there's been 700-some players that have played in the ECHL that have gone on and played at least one game in the National Hockey League. Oh, yeah. That's pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, Tanner Janot, he played time in the East Coast. Yeah. He could could win Rookie of the Year. So it's awesome. I love it, and I think you're only going to see it get better and better. Well, maybe we should get, maybe we should buy a team then and put a team somewhere. Hey, hey, I'm in. Let's do it. Let's buy a Why? team in a nice place though with some good weather. Well, I got a team an hour away from me here uh, at the Florida Everblades. I'll be down watching them play a couple playoff games. So they're nice. Not that I love far it. I love me. it. Now, listen, I'll just leave this with you. With my son, by the way, so I got I he's twenty, he's twenty seven. So the thing I have with him is though when I we have debates about hockey and I'm giving them my thoughts. If you guys endorse what I say or say the same thing, then it's a good comment. <laughs> Well, you, you do have hey, that listening audience. Hey, listen, I, I know. Like, if my dad says that, I don't agree. But if somebody I listen to says it, oh, dad, I, I take it back. You were right. You were right. And my kid will be the same way to me. My kid's going to listen to the chicklet someday and be like, my dad's an idiot. <laughs> so, I my son already thinks I'm an idiot sometimes. Yeah. All right. Hey, listen, Whit, thanks very much for joining us today. Keep up the great work with the show. Lovely to hearing you guys. And uh, again, trust you. All right, same to you guys. We'll, try, we'll catch you.